the book of Romans, and um, the book of Romans is, they say, whoever they might be, the most powerful book in the New Testament. And I agree some days, but I find all the books in the New Testament are, are powerful if you just dig into them. But I, but I get it that it was written to the Romans, and um, and you know, when you think about it, he was the king of the Jews, and the Jews were the only Christians up until Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and his, the Roman centurion and his family got saved. So when you read about, when you read about the king of the Jews, you think about Judah, but you also think about praise and worship. And he, he, he wasn't named after the first king, Saul. It wasn't the king of Benjamin. It was the king of the Jews, the king of the worshipers. Hallelujah. Those that worship in spirit and in truth. So anyway, so that's why the book of Romans is really, really uh, interesting to me. But here in Romans chapter 8, we've been there for a while, and I just want to start out there again and try and go a verse or two. But in, but in chapter 8 and verse 1, it starts out with a therefore. And I remember um, Pastor Jerry Kendrick, he used to be the dean of the Bible school out there in Sackville, and he would always say, when you find a therefore, find out what it's there for. And so, so what it's there for is the first seven chapters. <laughs> but, but I like how it starts because it starts out with therefore, there is now. And we looked at that word noon. And it's, I don't know if it's, in, there, is anybody here that could catch me if I just called it an aorist participle? <laughs> no. Oh, good. No, what I know is it's in perfect tense. And so whenever you say now, it upgrades itself. It's noon. And so, so when you say now, it's now. Now, now. It's always now. And so it says now there is therefore now no condemnation, right, to them that are in Christ Jesus. And when it says no, it's the word Otis, and it means not even one. So what he's saying to you is now there's nothing. Now there's nothing against you. Absolutely nothing against you. Turn to somebody and say, there's nothing against you. So, but then when you go back to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1 is pretty cool because in verse 16, now how many of you heard the word gospel? And you know that it means good news from the battlefield, and it means lots of things. But it's kind of like the word baptism. John the Baptist, he really should have been called John the Immerser, and there wouldn't have been any confusion, because that's what the word means. And gospel definitely means good news, but it means more than that. And the best place that you can find what it means is the Bible itself. And in Romans 1.16, Paul says it this way. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17 says, for herein is the righteousness of God revealed. So the power of the gospel is knowing that you're righteous. The power of the gospel is letting you know the righteousness has been revealed, and it's revealed from faith to faith because the just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in not what you're doing? No, faith in what he already did. You'll never be more righteous than you are right now. 
You'll never have any greater standing with God Almighty than you do right now. Now, he came to save us from the wrath. The Bible tells us that. Well, there's wrath in the earth right now. And, and, but he said you'd be saved from the wrath of God. And so you need to know that, that it's safe for you. Amen. That really, like, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, what's going on in the word. Yeah. And if God be for us, who can be against us? That's Romans 8, 31. He said, he said, what shall we say to these things? That's everything. That's the COVID thing. That's everything. What am I going to say about these things? I'm going to say, if God be for us, if God be for me, who can be against me? I'm going to say Psalm 27, 1. God is on my side. I will not fear. What can a man do unto me? I'll, I'll quote Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. He said he'd never leave me or forsake me so that I can boldly say, boldly, not timidly, boldly say, God is on my side. I will not fear. What can a man do unto me? Amen to that. Amen to that. That's a promise for you. An excellent promise. But let's go back to Isaiah 53. And I, and I want to read it in a couple of places. I want to read it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, Isaiah 53. Because really, this is what, what Paul just said, he took from here, right? It came from Isaiah 53. And the cool thing about Isaiah 53 is it's when Jesus was crucified, and it's followed by Isaiah 54. Sing and cry aloud, oh, oh you barren one that did not bear, break forth with singing. For the children of the desolate be greater in number than the married wife. Enlarge your tent, strengthen your cords, lengthen your stakes. You're going to break forth on the right hand and on the left hand. That's all. That's Isaiah 54. But, it's, but we get here through 53, of course, the crucifixion. Who has truly believed our revelation? To whom will Yahweh reveal his mighty arm? He sprouted up like a tender plant before the Lord, like, like a, a root in parched ground. He possessed no, no, no exquisite beauty or outward splendor that would catch your attention. When he had to be identified, he had to be identified by Judas, right? Yes. Yeah, identified in all the, all the years he'd been there in ministry, and they, they still didn't recognize him. People don't recognize him today. Oh, if they only recognized him. John 3.17, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to reconcile the world back to me. If people knew who God was, they'd be lined up to serve him. But they know religion. They don't know him. Religion tries to keep people away from God, where reality is saying, come unto me when you're weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your soul. Oh, hallelujah. Your mind, your will, your emotions. Then he said, I'm meek and lowly. I'm humble. God is, you, you'll never find anybody more humble than God. He said in Mark 10, 45, he said, I didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister and to serve. Even right now, what is the creator of the universe, my Bible tells me, ever lives to make intercession for me. So somewhere, wherever that, that spirit realm, Jesus is praying for me right now. How can I fail? But what love? How, how do I respond to that kind of love? Whew. There's only one response. Hallelujah. So it says here, uh, verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of deep sorrow 
who was no stranger to suffering and grief, we hid our faces from him in disgust and considered him a nobody, not worthy of respect. Yet he was the one who carried my sickness. He was the one who endured the, the torment of my suffering. We viewed him as one being punished for something himself he himself had done, as one struck down by God and brought low. But it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced. And because of our sins, he was crushed. He endured punishment that made, he endured, listen to this, he endured the punishment that made us completely whole. In his wounding, we found our healing. Like wayward sheep, we have all wandered astray. Each of us turned from God's path to our own chosen way. Even so, Yahweh laid the guilt of every, every sin upon him. Wow. He was oppressed, harshly mistreated. Still, still he humbly submitted and refused to defend himself. Whew. Now there's something. There's something we all need to learn. We don't need to defend ourselves. Amen. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10.30 says that justice belongs to him. He was brought like a, like a gentle lamb to be slaughtered, like a silent sheep before his shears. He didn't even open his mouth. Hmm. By coercion and perversion of justice, he was taken away. And who could have imagined his future? He was cut down in the prime of his life for the rebellion of his people. He was struck down in their place. They gave him a grave with criminals, but he ended up instead in a rich man's tomb, although he had done no violence nor spoken deceitfully. Even, but here's verse 10. Even though it pleased Yahweh to crush him to grief, he will restore him to favor. After his soul becomes a guilt offering, he will gaze upon his many offspring. Oh, I like this. He'll gaze upon his many offspring and prolong his days. And through him, Yahweh's deepest desires will be fully accomplished. After the great anguish of his soul, he will see the light and be fully satisfied. By knowing him, the righteous one, my servant will look by my righteous servant will make many righteous because he's their sin bearer carrying away their sins. So, so I, Yahweh, will assign him a portion among the great multitude and he will triumph and dis divide the spoils of victory with his mighty ones. Come on. The spoils of victory belong to you. Why? Because you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus, right? And what is a joint heir after all? Hallelujah. He says, and divide the spoils of victory with his mighty ones, all because he was poured, he poured out his life to death. He was counted among the worst of sinners, yet he carried sins burned for many, and he intercedes even now for the rebels. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. So with that in mind, we'll go back to Romans 8, 17. Of course, Romans 8, 17, and if we are children, then heirs. Hallelujah. Heirs of God. And joint heirs, that's the big deal. Joint heirs, which means, again, like in New Covenant Ministries Church, you need two signatures on a check, right? One person cannot write one. Well, joint heir, that's exactly what he's saying to you and I. You have a part to play, and I have a part to play. And he, he'll he do his part, but I have to do my part. And lots of times my part precedes his part. 
But there's, but again, there's two parts to play in this. So it's like he needs two signatures, okay? Praise the Lord. Joint heir, joint heir with Christ, joint heir, equal heir. But now what I have found out is that, that you know, he's given me some words, and one is that, that, that um, well, where I am right now in my life, and so I believe this for the church, is that you need to enter into rest yeah. so that you can receive, mm. so that you can reign, according to Romans 5, 17, so that you can reign in life. And the, the, the other one thing that he said is your identity precedes your inheritance. And so you need to know who you are before you can receive everything that he has for you. You know, it's like he's given you this inheritance. You, like the, my Bible tells me that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's the creator of the universe and everything belongs to him. Therefore, everything belongs to me. But do I make it exceeding great and precious promises, or do I just flip by it? See, because the honor that I put on him and the honor that I put on his promises is what's going to reflect back in my life. If I just dismiss what he's done, I can't make light of what he's done. I, I can't. This has got to be, you know, you just have to take this seriously, that Ephesians 1, 3 is real. I've already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ chose you before the foundation of the world, chose you in him before anything was created, you were already chosen in him. And so herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith, faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. So now the struggle is over. I'm not trying to be anything. I don't have to be. I don't have to be anything. My job right now is to get all wrapped up in somebody else's life. Don't need to be concerned about my own anymore. I can care about other people. Don't have to care about myself. Hallelujah. Is Willow Cooper here today? Oh. Yeah, but that, let me tell you about that. This is a sidebar. Yesterday, I was in the hospital getting... Uh, oh, anyway. <laughs> you don't need to know. <laughs> And I know, let me tell you about Duff Cooper for a minute. Can I tell you about Duff Cooper, Willow's dad? Well, when I first met Duff Cooper, hmm? yeah, what did I say? Okay, Willow's grandfather, thank you for your correction. But did you know that in the Hebrew there's no word for grandfather? Like, that's why. No, that's why. No, but there, that's why I kept saying his father, David, even though it was 400 years earlier. See? So I wasn't wrong. Uh, I, was, I, was just, I was just speaking Hebrew. What was it? Duff Cooper, Willow Cooper's grandfather. When I met Duff Cooper, well, Larry Wernell would know Duff Cooper because Larry used to come to my Bible study. I had a Bible study on a, two, on a Saturday night, and I didn't know the Bible at all. So I would have two people come in and teach it, Duff Cooper and Ross Horn. And when they would come there, they operated in the gifts of the Spirit, big time, to where people would sing songs in their heads because so, they thought these guys could read their thoughts, right? <laughs> It was funny. So, so you get a crowded room and everybody's thinking about something else. To, I hope they don't find out about this. I hope they don't find out about that. Yeah. 
No, but he was like that in church too. He would sit up in the rafters back there at Rock Church because because Christians were scared of him. No, no, but see, but we all thought we had something to hide. <laughs> he had nothing to hide. No. I mean, God sees it all. So why would we care what a man thinks, right? <laughs> he sees it all. And he, he like he. It's kind of like um. It's kind of like. Like baseball, um, if you're if you have a 300 average, that's a great batting average. It means you're hitting the ball three times out of ten. So when you think about sin, you think about hammer day missing the mark. We are righteous, but we're practicing. And some days are how many of you know? Some days work, some months work better than other months. <laughs> but. Be, you know, but you cast all you care upon the Lord. So now you don't care. You're not careless, but you're totally carefree. Amen. So anyway, Duff Cooper, right? So when I met him, he was coming over and doing this Bible study. And his Bible was really thick at the front and narrow at the back. He was thumbing through it and reading it all the time. And, and uh, I remember the first time I went over to his home, Floss is the one that just had her operation um, but yesterday. Oh, yeah, back to Willow. I'm at the hospital, and think about how many things it would take for me to run into Willow at the elevator. Like how many things I had to stop for a pee. Oh, sorry to share that with you, but, you know, but no, but there's just all kinds of details that had to happen for us. I know she's still a little crude around the edges. No, for us to run into the elevator at that same time. And so I asked her about Floss. I had known the night before. Then I remembered back to Floss, and, and I remember one day over on Romans Avenue where they lived, I was sitting in the kitchen. She went out to hang out her clothes, and she had a big basket of them. She brought them right back in again. Duff said, what's going on? He's, she said, it's raining. He walked out and commanded the, the rain to stop, and he said, go on out and hang up your clothes. Like, no, this, like, like this. No, but I'm fresh off drugs. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, so then the next thing he did was he came to my house. He said, come on, we're going to cast out a devil. <laughs> no, no, when you just did the LSD, come on, you just like, what? <laughs> I, was, I was saved a few months, but I mean, it was not, we're going to cast out a devil, what's that? So then I went there and he said, then, he, then this guy, the guy tried to run away and he pointed to him and God laid him right down on the ground. And so then he said, put your hand on his stomach. So I put my hand on his stomach, and he started yelling and screaming, get your hand off me, it's hot. <laughs> so that was Duff Cooper. And uh, I could tell you stories for a while. But one day, one day he had his own heart attack. And I went to see him in, in ICU because my name is Gary Hooper. So when I went up and said, what's your name, Gary Hooper? They thought it was Cooper, and they let me right in. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got in there, I saw the glory cloud for the first time. I don't know if any of you have ever, ever experienced it, but it was all around his bed. He said, Gary, I don't understand this. He said, I lay hands on other people and they get healed. I lay hands on myself and it's nothing's happening. But it did happen because he got out of there. And then a year later when he did die, he was on his way to the hospital to pray for somebody else. That's Duff Cooper. Anyway, Floss fell the other day and broke her 
hip, and they didn't think they were going to be able to operate on her. But the short story is they operated on her last night. Yeah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Romans 8.17 says we need two signatures, right? We got that. Two signatures, yours and his. That means that we're walking in agreement. Yeah. That means that what and and then and then it's kind of like, okay, what's my part, God? He said, act like my word is true. That means do something, even if you have to sit down to preach, do something. Do something. Don't lay down, don't cave in, don't quit. Refuse to back off. You know. Hallelujah. And and I'm saying that in a room full of champions anyway. I started going through people in my mind. I'm thinking, dear Lord, this I got Hebrews 11 around me all the time. Like, I don't know any of you that haven't been through some kind of hell, right? I don't know any of you that don't walk with some kind of a limp because the world came against you. That's why I say I don't trust people that don't have a limp. What do you mean by that? Jacob became Israel when he identified himself to God. And he wrestled with them all night, and he said, "He said, I'm Jacob. He said, there you admitted that you're a chiseler and a chief. Now I'm going to change your name to Israel. Now that you've admitted your position, I'm going to give you my position. Now that, and, and now my position is you're, you're righteous in my sight. It's like Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness before he had ever done anything righteous. It's kind of like what he said to Jesus when he was water baptized. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased before he did one thing. And when you got water baptized, he said the same thing. When you come up out of the water, he said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because of the wrath that was placed on Jesus in Isaiah 53. Like your deal is over. You, you just need to rest in the Lord. Come on, Hebrews 4.11 says, labor to enter into my rest. He, Matthew 11 says, I'll give you rest for your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. You can find rest in me. Take my yoke upon you and learn about me. Okay? Learn about me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Is that Jeremiah 33.3? <laughs> Call on me and I will answer you. Look, one time I, re- I got on somebody for doing that on a, on a Sunday. And on Wednesday night, I sat there and somebody called me on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I get to rambling along here. And, um, yeah, hallelujah. I know that ain't right. Praise the Lord. I'm looking to see where I'm supposed to go. Well, let's go to Luke 15. How about that? Now, remember that Jesus came to show the world what his Father God looked like because they had no concept. We didn't, there's no way you can learn him in the Old Testament. There's just no way. You can, you can get some really encouraging stories, but he's, not, but he's not identified in the Old Testament. He's not identified until Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 when Jesus said, taught the disciples, he said, this is how you pray, our Father who art in heaven. They, they had Moses as their father. They had Abraham as their father. All they knew about God was they had 613 laws 
Can you imagine having that in your mind? 613 laws. Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. They were so focused on what was wrong, they couldn't see what was right. They just couldn't grasp it. They couldn't reel it in. And then, and then even when it says, well, God, you know, like remember when Uriah hit, uh, grabbed the, the ark? They were carrying it in a cart, and the Bible says, and the power of God came out and killed them. Well, when you read that in the Hebrew, what happened was, you know, a sinner came in contact with a holy God, and he's a consuming fire. When, like, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't touch that. That's why they had to stay off the mountain, you know, when, when Moses was up there getting the commandments. Like, the power of God... He, when, when, Ab, when Adam sinned, if God had embraced him, he would have been, he'd have been stuck a sinner forever. He'd have never gotten away. We think that he put them out of the garden because of some kind of pun, punitive reason, but it wasn't that at all. It was to protect him. That's why he clothed him with skins of animals and had a blood covenant with him and all of that. So, so again, if you don't understand God, you think that he had a personality change. He was really bad in the Old Testament. Now all of a sudden he's a nice guy. But, but that's only because it's written and not understood. And even the language that it's written in, if, unless you deep dive into Hebrew, you, you don't never find it out. You just, and God, and God killed them. Well, that's not, if God is love and that's not his nature to kill people, Right. For God so loved the world that he gave. So if they were dying, it was because they were breaking laws. It's kind of like if I, if I walk off the roof of this building and kill myself, you're not going to say, well, God killed him. But in the law, they would have. We know that gravity killed me. I broke a law. I broke a natural law, and it had an effect on me. That's, you know, so when you, when you, know, that, when you know that Jesus revealed the Father, then, then you, when you read the Old Testament, you just read it differently. Right. Anyway, here in uh, Luke chapter 15, again, Jesus came and showed, to show the world what God looked like. In Genesis 51, it says, Then drew near unto him, look at this, all the publicans and all of the sinners for to hear him. No, sinners were attracted to God. Sinners came to Jesus. Religious people ran them off, but Jesus invited them. Hey, they felt the love of God. They didn't feel judgment or any of that kind of stuff. It's right there. It's so so clear in those two verses. Verse 1 says, They then drew nearer to him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. But, but look at the next verse. And the religious people murmured, mm -hmm. just like they do in church. Yeah. What are those people doing coming in here? Mm -hmm. Not this church, but I mean church, I've seen it like that. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and even eats with them. <laughs> yeah. No, but the publicans were the tax collectors, and tax collectors were hated. And the only w women that would hang out with tax collectors were generally prostitutes and things like that. So, but it says that they were attracted to Jesus. <laughs> I, I pray that they'll be attracted to us. I pray that the lost will be attracted to us and that they won't feel any judgment or condemnation. I really pray that. That those be a church that really loves people. 
So he spoke a parable unto them in verse 3. He said, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go and find the one that was lost? Well, in the world you would never do that. That's only a 1% loss. Like, why are you going to go look for one? But he's showing you, he's showing me how important you are to him. He will leave them all for the one. Go looking for you. Hallelujah. And when he has found it, this is Psalm 23. When he found it, he, he laid it upon his shoulders rejoicing. And he came home and called together his friends and neighbors and saying unto them, let's rejoice with me for I found that's how important you are to him. I found the one that was lost. You were lost and I found you. And I'm having a party over you. I'm so excited that I found you. You were lost and I found you. I love you. I enjoy you. I want to raise you up. Amen. Amen. So in other words, he comes to your rescue. Come on, any of you ever backslidden? And sometimes it's a long time for you, but for him, he's there waiting. Yeah. And when you come back, he doesn't say, well, you sure messed up there. No, no, you just like, it's kind of like if you have a flat tire on the way to Truro, you don't come back to Halifax to get your tire changed. You get it changed where you are and you move on. And that's the way it is when you, when you backslide from God too. You, you flatten, flatten your tires and you're there and you broke down on the side of the road, you get it fixed, and you start from there. You don't have to start all over and get born again again and repent again again and all of that. You just pick it up and move on. Hallelujah. So then he's going to say, then he's going to tell you another one here. He's saying, likewise, shall, shall verse 7, shall there be more joy in heaven over one that sinner that repents. And what does the word repent mean anyway? It means metanoia. It means you change the way you're thinking so that you can change the way you're living. I, I can't change the way I'm living until I change the way I'm thinking. Right? Metanoia. Change, change your attitude. Change your actions for an invasion from the spirit realm is imminent. That's what Jesus preached when he went everywhere preaching. What did he go preaching? He went preaching the righteousness of God. He went preaching, I've came to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty the bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Yeah. Hallelujah. Now there's talking about a woman here. Either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lost one piece, does she not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, like, again, these, things, these stories don't make sense unless you understand that he's trying to show you how valuable you are. You've you got to go back to verse 1 of this, chapter 15, and realize that he's saying, he's saying, you're real value to me. Religion will try to keep you away from me. Self-righteousness will try to keep you away from me. But I want you to come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I want to love you. So he said, she lights a candle and diligently looks for it. Lights a candle and diligently looks for it. And when she's found it, she calls all her friends. 
That's, that's what we need to do as a church too, man, I'm telling you. Just have a party every week. Somebody comes in with those lost. Somebody that comes in that was backslidden. You know, well, where are you? No, well, where have you been? What have you been doing? Oh, help us, God, to get past all that. Hey, I'm just glad to see you. I, I, I don't care where you've been. I'm just glad you're here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't need to know the details of your life. I got enough baggage to deal with in my own. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the, those without a sin throw the first rock. And they all walked away. <laughs> now let's drop those. So it says, Likewise I say unto you, there's more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Now, verse 11. I know we know this story, but I want to look at it a little differently. I want to look at it today as three sons. I know there's only two, but there's a third one that's telling the story. Yeah. A certain man had three sons. Family. One was religious. One was righteous. One was rebellious. Right? Three sons. Rebellious, religious, righteous. The righteous one is telling the story. So, and a certain man had two sons, three sons, and the younger of them said unto his father, Give me a portion of the goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living. Well, first of all, the, the, the biggest dishonor that you could show your father was to demand an inheritance while, while he's still alive. You know, it was a totally disrespectful, dishonorable thing that he was doing, but his father let him do it. Give me my inheritance. And after many days, he gathered together and took his journey into a far country, wasted his substance on cocaine, alcohol, substance abuse, riotous living. He became a hopeless, homeless addict. Broken down, hopeless, homeless addict. And it says here, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and ended up feeding the pigs. Well, if he, if any Jew had seen him doing that, they'd have, they'd have stoned him to death. They'd have simply killed him. Such a dishonorable son. Now he's, now he's feeding the pigs, and the pigs were unclean animals, right? Hallelujah. And when he would have... But he would, would have filled his butt, belly with the husks that the swine did eat. No man gave him anything to eat. He was an outcast for sure. And when he came to himself, thank God he came to himself. <laughs> it's a good thing to come to yourself. <laughs> he came to himself and he said, isn't that interesting? The pig pen brought him repentance. The smell of the pig pen wasn't any word that he'd heard. He just got fed up with, I, I guess we have the saying, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. And then he's in this place where the pain of change is less than the pain of remaining where you are. Right. And that's, until that happens, no change happens. Okay. Until you get so fed up with where you are yeah. that the pain of change is not as great as staying there. It's amazing the situations that people lead themselves in because they've learned to endure. 
I remember one time I dated this girl, and she had, her husband had been beaten up for 12 years. I said, what are you doing? Why did you stay here for 12 years? Isn't that amazing that people will do that? And sometimes they even think that they deserve it? Anyway. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my hired servants, my father's house, had bread enough to spare, and they, I perish with hunger? I'm going to rise up. And I know what he did. I know he rehearsed this all the way home. This is what I'm going to say. Because yeah. we all do it. Oh, yeah. well, they'll say this, and then I'll say that. You have a whole conversation with yourself that lots of the time doesn't even happen. Yeah. They'll say this, and then I'll say that. Then say this, and then. Sometimes you even get angry. And you're having a conversation in your head. <laughs> they're they're going to say that. No, I say this. It's ridiculous, isn't it? We, we need to laugh at ourselves. Lots of times when you communicate with somebody, you find out it was just a misunderstanding anyway. Yeah. Communication is so vital. It's so key. Amen. I'll rise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but while he was a yet a great way off, his father saw him looking for him, waiting for him. And then it says he ran to him. And when you think about a Hebrew gentleman running, he had to pull up his skirt and tuck it in his belt and expose his legs, which was also already a dishonorable thing. And then he's going to run to this guy, and the guy is still smelling like a pig. And he runs to him, and what does he do? He falls on his neck. And he kisses him and kisses him and kisses him. When you read it in the Greek, he kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. He didn't say, well, boy, you better, you better clean up. Now think about what religion does and make sure that you don't have any of that. That you're not, you, that, you just, you're just going to love people. You, you're going to love them where they are, not where you would like them to be. Just love you. Love you right now believe that they'll get to that place, but love them where they are and not what you expect. Love people where they are and not what you expect them to be. Hallelujah. That's a good word. That's a good word for somebody. It was a good word for me. Amen. And he said to his son, and the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against him, blah, blah, blah. Same thing, right? But the father, but the father ignored him. It's just like when you read about Mephibosheth over in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And he says to David, what do you have to do with such a dead dog as me? David ignored him and said, go get him dressed up. Bring him to the, bring him to the supper table. Because that's, and the word back in 2 Samuel 9 is, is hesed. And hesed is covenant kindness. Hesed is you didn't have to earn this. There's nothing you could do to get it. It's just David had a covenant with his father, Jonathan. Jesus has a covenant with his father, God. And, and the blessing is coming to you. And whether you see yourself as a dog or not, you better get ready. Blessings are coming on you and overtaking you. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So he said, but the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe. Go get him the robe of righteousness and put it on him and put the family ring, the buying and the selling. Give him the family credit card. 
Hallelujah. Because they got their inheritance, but he still was doing okay. <laughs> He's still doing all right. But the, so put the, put the, and put shoes on his feet. I love this because it always takes me back to Genesis chapter three, when God said to Moses, take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground because he was under the law. But now here's this guy under grace and he's saying, put shoes on his feet. He's the redeemed of the Lord. Hallelujah. Put shoes on his feet. And, and then and then he said, and, and let's let's cut a new covenant meal. Let's let's get the fatted calf and put it in Paul Wilson's smoker, the Traeger smoker. <laughs> and we'll wait. <laughs> and, and then we'll eat. We'll eat good. For he was dead. But now he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. But this story, I also used to think that it was a story about the kids. But it's really, when you read it in this chapter 15, it's really about a loving father. The whole chapter is about him loving you. That's what it's about. It's not about somebody that backslid and got lost. No, it's a loving father just waiting, waiting for you to come home. No judgment, no condemnation. Just come on to me. This is so powerful. Now the eldest son was in the field. Because he had an identity problem too. He, he, did, he didn't recognize his father as loving. The young one was rebellious and he didn't get it. And the older one, he didn't get it because he was out working in the field when he was supposed to be. Your father doesn't need servants. He's got angels that do his bidding. What he needs is sons and daughters that will come up to the house and sit down in the living room. And it says, he came unto him. No. And he called the servants and asked. No, verse 25. Now the elder son was in the field, and he came, and I know we've heard this story a bunch of times, but there's gold in it every time you read it. Amen. Now the elder son was in the field, and he came and drew near unto the house, and he heard the music and the dancing. That's the first thing I notice. When you come near the father's house, you hear the music and the dancing. In his presence is fullness of joy, and his right hand pleasure forevermore. He's not sitting on some stone throne saying, you just do one thing wrong, and I'm going to scorch you like a bug. <laughs> The concept people have of God. No, no. Read that. You hear the music. Hear the dancing. Glory to God. No, but if the world could see that, they wouldn't be downtown on a Saturday night. Well, maybe some, maybe some would, but. He heard the music and the dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him safe and sound. And he was rejoicing. Oh, thank God my brother's home. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy I can hardly wait to see him. No, religious people always get angry. I'm telling you, they do. Like if you come into this church and God gave you $15,000 and somebody was there, well, I've been here for five years and God never ever gave me $15,000, right? Instead of celebrating and saying, I'm next in line. It's like, <laughs> you know, make sure you haven't got any of that, I'm telling you. 
it's just not good. He was angry and wouldn't even go in. I'm not going back to that church anymore. No, sir. They're acting too foolish over there. <laughs> we haven't even gotten there yet. You just wait if you think this is foolish. <laughs> Glory to God. We're going to pull out all the stuff so any day now. Could be today. Could be. <laughs> Pretty good. No, but I mean, I think about Acts chapter 2 and they, they, they said they were drunk. And nobody ever accused, I mean, church people that I know of don't get accused of being drunk very often. He said, they're not drunk as you suppose, being up at the third hour of the day, but they are drunk in the Holy Ghost. They got so intoxicated with the love of God, they started the music and the dancing. But here he says, he said, he answered and said, Father, many years. I served you. See, he was getting his identity from his service. You get your identity from you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. And he's not looking again. He's not looking for servants. Read about the angels that are at his bidding. He's looking for sons and daughters. He didn't say, I came to make more servants. I came to have sons and daughters. Hallelujah. Many years I served you. Hallelujah. And neither, neither did I do anything wrong. <laughs> I've been a good religious person. It's kind of like in Luke 18, he said, the guy's talking, he said, Lord, I'm th so thankful I'm not like this guy beside me. I tithe, I give offerings, I'm so holy, and this, 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 this guy next to me is so disgusting. And, and the guy beside him just said, Lord... Please forgive me. Accept me. And Jesus said to that religious guy, which one of those guys do you think went away justified? Right? The guy that had his nose stuck up in the air. See, anytime you get proud of your own performance, it's not a performance anyway. The performance is over. What we're doing is we're doing Philippians 4, 11. We're learning how to be content, whether we abase, whether we abound. And we're going to verse 13 and knowing that we can do all things through the anointed one, his anointing, which strengthens us. Then we go to verse 19 where he says, I'll supply all your need according to, I love that too, according to my riches and glory, not out of. I can give some money to you out of my account. But when you're a joint heir, everything in my account is your account. Like Nancy, like, I got to keep an eye on Nancy. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> no, but we're joint heirs, and we don't require two signatures. She can just go clean it out tomorrow if she wants to. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> No, he, but this guy carried a grudge, and the demon spirit wants you to carry a grudge. Oh, yeah. Well, you get upset with people. Yeah. And then the problem with a, a, a demon grudge spirit is after you hold it a while, it holds you. Yes. Now, you now you're struggling to get free from all that. And so, but verse 31, let's just move on from there. He said unto him, Son, Son, look at this. 
You're always with me and everything I have belongs to you. You don't have to work for my approval. It's already yours, hallelujah. It's already yours. Um, how about Galatians chapter 4? I'm circling the airport right now. For those of you that are planning on a restaurant. Yeah. Coming in for a landing. Yep. Galatians 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to what? To redeem, to buy back those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And when you read that word adoption of sons, it's weos, theos, and it means son placing. And what they would do is they would put a toga virilla on you, a new jacket upon you, and you would go from being a child to being an heir of the, the, whole, the whole of the inheritance. To redeem those that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons of God, he has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or Papa God. Wherefore, you are no longer a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, an heir of God through Jesus Christ. So so the, the, the toga virilla that you're putting on is you're putting on Christ. That's your new identity. When you identify with him, you'll, he'll identify with you. And it's not until you identify with him that you can get your inheritance, even though it's already there. And we understand from Ephesians 1 that he's given us the earnest of our inheritance, like it's there. We've got the down payment. But the whole thing is, what, what are you saying? I'm saying the sky is not the limit. Everything that belongs to him Joint it. Well, let's let's close over there in Romans eight seventeen. Let's go back over there. Read it again. Identity precedes inheritance. That's all you got to remember. Identify with Him. Verse seventeen. Well, let's read. Begin. Let's begin in verse fifteen again. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but we've received the spirit of adoption. There it is. And that's not adopted like it's, it's sun placing. It's we are theos. It means that you're being, it doesn't mean that you weren't a part of the family and now you're adopted in. It means that you were a child and now you're ready for your full inheritance. It's your bar mitzvah, right? Okay. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, if we suffer with him, we'll also be glorified together with him. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So let's begin to fulfill his purpose. Amen. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. 
For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.